0: of that instrumental is just so nice and relaxing that I kind of just wanted to let it play before I started talking. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am so excited to welcome you back. I appreciate your patience. I know that I am a few days late releasing this episode because I took a little bit of a break for the holidays. But we are back, and I will be releasing podcasts on the regular schedule from here on out. A few housekeeping items. I am so excited to announce that we have finally hit 10,000 followers on Instagram. It's pretty crazy. I never thought that I would run an Instagram with 10,000 followers. And we have done this all together in a matter of six months, which just blows my mind. We also hit 50,000 downloads on the podcast. I just can't believe it. And it's all because of every single one of you. I wanted to give a huge shout out to Will, who is one of the podcast listeners. And he sent me this amazing message on Twitter that I wanted to share with all of you. Hey Molly, so therapy was, in short, amazing today, like a textbook exactly as both books say it should be, like, amazing. Had a huge revelation regarding abandonment melange, emotional flashbacks, and my family emotionally abandoning me as a kid. Hit on what you said in the new episode about our definition of attention and love not being necessarily the same as our parents. I actually mourned and empathized for my inner child and felt relief for the very first time, I literally do not believe that this progress would have happened, that these discoveries and revelations would have happened, had I not found you. My therapist even said she wishes that she had the revelations I had today when she was my age. It would have saved her a decade. So I'd just like to say, once more, thank you for being brave and dedicated enough to make a platform of your own and share your experiences with BPD and CPTSD and your resources with all of us. You've genuinely made a dent in my life, at least. Messages like this seriously mean the world to me. You all, like, thank you for sharing. I read every single message you send me on Instagram, every review on Apple Podcasts, and it's just blowing my mind. All I'm doing is just sharing my thoughts and feelings and having conversations with people that inspire me. So the fact that you all are taking this out into your own life and making those changes is something you should be proud of. And I just want to say to Will, how proud I am of you for doing that. Each and every one of you, The podcast isn't enough. You have to take what you learn and figure out what that means in your own life. Dive into the cycles and patterns that you've built up over your own life and find out what that change looks like for you and your individual hero's journey. And taking what you learn from the podcast and using that as things to jump off of and elaborate on in therapy is a really fantastic way to bring those changes into your own life. One last thing, Spotify has finally made it possible for people to rate my podcast on its platform. We've got 26 five-star reviews. So if you have been listening to this podcast and I've been saying rate and review the podcast and you're like, "Bitch, I can't because Spotify doesn't let me." <laughs> well, Spotify lets you now. So if you want to, go ahead and hop on to Spotify and rate the podcast. It would mean a lot to me and it helps other people know that the podcast is valuable when they see all these great ratings and reviews. So if you can do that, that'd be fabulous. Also, one last thing, our Patreon community is growing and growing and growing. And every day I make a post on Patreon of a article, video, um, just thought that inspires me. So if you want to dive a little bit deeper, you can go ahead and become a patron. That is patreon.com slash back from the borderline. So today's episode and today's guest, I am so unbelievably excited to share this interview with you. Zaz and I just listened to the entire thing back last night and I was just like, fuck, this is a really good one, guys. (laughs) Today's guest is Barla's and he runs an Instagram account called Accept and Act. And a little bit of background, Barlas is one of the first people that followed the BPDT Instagram account right at the beginning. And he was so incredibly kind and supportive and always commenting and sharing my posts. And as I dug into his material, I knew that I wanted to have him on the podcast one day. And when we first reached out to each other, he
1: would just become a new dad. And so, as is understandable, he is a practicing psychologist in the Netherlands, just became a parent, and runs all of his own stuff, so it's been hard for us to get our schedules together to have an interview, but we finally made it happen, and this interview is amazing. The theme of my interview with Barlas was suppressed emotions and how they keep us stuck in these destructive patterns about how we are unconsciously repeating our childhood and how without even being aware of it, we are walking around many of us just like petulant children throwing tantrums. I know that that's how I was running my life before my journey into recovery. I was just an angry child that wasn't aware of those being my issues and the
0: further and further I get into my recovery journey and the more professionals and people I speak to, I realize that that's the issue is these suppressed emotions and unconscious behaviors that are driving our lives. So really we're spending the majority of our lives just not even acting from our the place of our true selves. We're acting from these Unconscious, wounded inner children inside of us. And today's episode is how we can break past that. This stuff is so powerful. And if you really embody these lessons and really think about what this means and how these things manifest in your own life, I truly believe this can be one of the most powerful episodes to transform your recovery journey. So with that, Let's go ahead and dive into my interview with Barliss.
1: This, focus, focus
0: this podcast is not a substitute for professional treatment of BPD. I am not a psychiatrist, a therapist, or a doctor. I'm a human being sharing the highs and lows of my own recovery. Expect mature subject matter. Probably put the kids away. Above all else, this is a place for getting real, so triggering topics will come up. Alright, if you're into it, let's get into it. You have entered Back From The Borderline, the place to be for the tea on all things BPD. I'm your host, Molly. After my diagnosis, I decided to make it my life's mission to become an emotional grown-up this marked the beginning of a journey of self-discovery and research that resulted in massive mindset shifts. The more I learned, the less control my BPD symptoms had over my life. On this podcast, I'll be serving up all the tips, tricks, and vulnerable conversations you'll need to deepen and expand your own recovery process as you join me in mine. You are not alone. Together, let's design a life free of BPD. All right, time to settle in and get ready to absorb today's episode.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I am here with my lovely guest, Barlas, and I will just turn it over to him so that he can introduce himself and tell you a little bit about his credentials.
2: All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Barlas, and I'm a psychologist and a meditation and mindfulness teacher. I'm originally from Turkey, but uh, I live in the Netherlands and I work here too. You can follow me on Accept and Act, uh, my Instagram account. Well, uh, to say a little bit about myself, I've been doing this work for a long time, and um, I've worked and lived all over the world. Um, I got my BA in psychology from Earlham College in Richmond, Indiana. So I lived in the states for about six years, and then I was in the Turkish army for a year because I had to be. I work with uh, soldiers who had combat-related uh, PTSD, and then. I got into the University of Western Ontario's clinical psychology graduate program, and I got my master's there, and then I came back home to Turkey. I had my private practice there for about three years, and then I moved to the Netherlands about five years ago, and uh, here I specialize in schema therapy, mindfulness. Um, I work with a lot of expats and people from all over the world and uh, depression, anxiety, personality-related stuff, um, work-related stuff, all kinds of exciting different issues. And I try to help people. So, yeah.
0: Incredible. And thank you so much for giving us that background. And I found your page really early on after creating my page and just Loved all of your posts. I'm curious. I had psychologist Stephanie on the podcast, yeah. Stephanie Cerdigna. Yeah, and do you know her? Because she's based in the Netherlands. Have you ever met? Yeah,
2: not yet, but oh. we will. Uh, we're we're Instagram friends so far. But uh, yeah, she's amazing. I she love her posts.
0: Yeah, absolutely incredible. And yeah. it seems like you two are very aligned in your oh, yeah. approaches yeah. and beliefs what an incredible background you have and the experience you have living in the states
1: especially at being in indiana somewhere yeah. like indiana it's not like you lived in yeah. la or new york right it's like living somewhere in kind of middle america is yeah. much different than living yeah. on the coasts i grew up in wyoming myself so i'm sure mm. you experienced mm. like you have such a profound experience of Eastern thought and Western thought and where those uh, beliefs collide and the way that different, that emotions are dealt with in different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And I actually just did a little rant on Instagram before (laughs) coming on the podcast with you. And it was all about just how in the Western world we pathologize emotions and for my listeners I I mean when I say pathologize emotions is saying you know turning something like sadness or anger into either a positive negative good or bad thing and how I believe that has for lack of a better phrase really fucked us up over here in the West
2: and
1: yeah. um, what is your thought about you actually made a post that I shared and it was all about just, essentially about emotion and how we, um, repress our feelings. And first, before I kind of get into that post, what is your experience, been living in different parts of the world, how we view emotions and feelings here versus what you're living in other parts of the world and being not American. Like, I'd love to hear you just riff on that.
2: Yeah um there are, there are many many differences and um not only in my experience but you can see it in the in the textbooks too it's really interesting i'll I'll talk about it uh in a second but uh, my personal experience working as a therapist uh US Canada Turkey Netherlands um people in the US uh and Canada i think they they try to compartmentalize their emotions a little bit more like Okay, uh, just shut up. Keep going. Push, push, push. Work, work, work. Whatever you know, uh, the the negative emotions—they're mm-hmm. bad. And and you know, you're gonna you're gonna take medication or, um, you know, just get drunk and <laughs> smoke a bunch of weed. Whatever, mm-hmm. just whatever helps <laughs> you get through the negative emotion without ever acknowledging um, where is it coming from. What is it trying to tell you? and what what you can learn from it so that's that's you know one big difference and of course these are huge generalizations but there's definitely a trend and then um you know canada and netherlands pretty similar and then in terms of the outlook to mental health and negative emotions and then in turkey it's very different because i think it's the other end of the spectrum and i think um more in the Eastern cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, Mediterranean cultures. I think we get lost in the emotion, and you know, there's no, I think, internal boundaries between, mm. you know, what what am I feeling and what somebody else is feeling, what my what my partner is feeling, what my family is feeling. There's a little bit more uh, confusion about, um, you know, where the emotions are coming from, and then um, complete surrender to that and you don't know how to get out of it. So I would say in the West, there's a problem with not feeling and therefore not learning uh, what the emotion is trying to teach you. And then in the East, you are so overwhelmed that uh, you don't know what's going on and you need to just try to take a step back. But definitely all over the world, we're having trouble regulating our emotions. We we demonize the negative emotions. And you know that's one of the things that I want to help people with because, you know, that's where my, the name of my account comes from, accept an act, you know, accept yes. whatever the hell you're feeling. It can be anger. It can be happiness. Just accept it first. Yes. And then once you've done that, once you've created that time and space for yourself, then you can, you can do whatever you need to do to help yourself with that emotion. And sometimes you don't have to do anything. So, um, you know, we need to regulate, we need to learn how to do that. And we need to teach each other. And that's why I'm here.
0: Yes. I mean, beautiful. And I love the name of your account. And it's funny because that's one of the posts that I had up here, which is like how to practice, accept and act. That's what you, you kind of, and you've already kind of briefly gone into that. But what I love that you just said was how sometimes we don't have to do anything. And I think I've struggled with that in my life, right? I've always, yeah, Yeah. I've always felt like I had to like
1: take an action or say something or react. And I've, because I've actually felt very uncomfortable with inaction and silence, right? So I always felt like I had to say something, but nine times out of 10, it was always the wrong thing. Or I, I was saying it to help myself and not necessarily help the other person. So it's like, can you, how, when are some times that are more appropriate to do nothing than to mm-hmm. do something? And mm-hmm. how would, how have you experienced that in your own life?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, it, it has to do with our threshold of, of uh, the set point of nervous system dysregulation. And it's a a little bit different for everyone. So um, what's going to overwhelm me is going to be different than what's going to overwhelm you. Mm. Also, uh, based on um, our pasts, our traumas, there are different kinds of uh, triggers. So for me, uh, the rule of thumb is that if you notice that your body is... Uh, reacting in some kind of fight or flight um uh, way, mm-hmm. then you know that's a good good point to not react unless it's to defend yourself obviously or of or course. to 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 get out of a situation or something like that but um the problem is that once you're so dysregulated once you're overwhelmed by the emotion, your cognitive functions are not what they're used to be because you are completely in the fight or flight survival thing. Your body is telling you, you know, run away, run away or fight, fight, fight or or freeze, you know, yes. so you're not going to be able to have a conversation. You're not going to be able to make good decisions because the parts of your brain that govern the uh, the rational thinking, executive function, they're kind of cut off and your brain is saying, you know, just, just you know, forget about all that shit you have yes. to you have to survive and that's what i'm going to try to make you do so you know that's why in relationships we get into shouting matches you know like it,
0: yes. it it still
2: happens yeah it it still happens to me with my wife you know every once in a while i'm saying something she's saying something you know i'm 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 thinking it's like i'm repeating this for the sixth time but you know nothing is changing and it's the same for her too That's when I know like, oh my God, I'm so fucking dysregulated. It's time to just take a step back, take a couple of deep breaths and and maybe get a glass of water. And, and, and then, you know, you'll, you'll talk about it later because you're not going to save anything in that moment. You're not going to explain anything because you're both so triggered, so dysregulated. There's no point, you know, just, just walk away. You're not going to remember anything that you talk about anyways.
0: It's so true. And those are the moments where you kind of like start, it starts with one thing, you know, one small yep. thing, for example, my partner could just be doing something and I could be talking to him and I could see him kind of like roll his eye or like, look, look away. Yeah.
1: And I could just go, are you even listening to me? Yeah. And like, just yeah. that comment from me, you know,
2: yeah.
1: it, Matic automatically turns on his defense. And so what could have been a completely benign expression, micro expression Mm -hmm. of his, which is nine times out of 10, he's a very calm person. He's not really like a passive aggressive person, but because that's what I grew up with, right. When I saw those looks in my home, it was a passive aggressive gesture, but I will interpret it reenact my childhood with him. And then before we know it, we're in a screaming match when If I would have practiced accept and act, act, for example, I could have stopped and thought, okay, maybe he was just like looking to the side. And so now in a more healthy interaction, I would just say, hey, I kind of felt when you looked to the side just now that you were like rolling your eyes at me or dismissing me, um, do you need some time like before we talk about this? Because I actually like really want your full attention. And then he could go, oh, I did. I didn't mean to do that. Or I actually just need to finish this. And that actually happened just the other day. And I did that. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like think of all the fights I could have avoided in my life. If I could have just yeah. said, Hey, I saw you do this. Did you mean to look like you were rolling your eyes at me? And nine times out of 10, the person is like, I actually didn't even know that I was doing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, and I think especially with people with BPD, a lot of us grew up in really invalidating environments. And so there were little, my family home was full of microaggressions, you know, like yeah. very e- everything was taken personally. Little tiny things were a huge deal. And so I've found myself in my adulthood with partners who I interpret their tiny micro expressions as my parents would have interpreted them. And I'm always met with, like, what? what is yeah. going on like i didn't yeah. mean that i'd love to hear you talk about how this reenacting of childhood can really negatively impact our relationships because i think a lot of us with bpd struggle with that
2: oh yeah yeah and um i work with a lot of people uh, who have borderline personality disorder and i and actually something happened a uh, couple weeks ago um it's very interesting because when you were talking about Saz, that's that's what I was thinking thinking about the the micro expressions, the nonverbal stuff, but also um, o- uh, online stuff too, like you know yeah. emails and social media. Why aren't you writing back? Um, yes. Why aren't you reading my email? That kind of stuff. I mean, that happens to me too. Come on, you know, like when I write an email or when I send a message, I want people to read it. You know that that's why I send it. But the difference is that for me um you know maybe it doesn't trigger such a big childhood wound that i'm not uh, aware of so i had this client uh, a couple weeks ago and um she canceled a couple of sessions and then um you know i wrote back i was like okay i'll i'll get back to you asap um it's the holidays crunch you know it's it's crazy but i'll get back to you asap and then i forgot and then of course she was so pissed off she 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 writes back to me she's like why the fuck are you ghosting me what's going on blah 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 <laughs> and that's you know i completely forgot i yeah. had no you know it, it's it's been so busy with you know all the cancellations and end of the year stuff and i'm doing a lot of sessions so immediately i called her i was like i would never ever ghost you never i would never do that like that that doesn't even cross my mind <laughs> doesn't even cross my mind and then she was like oh my god thank you barless because when these things happen i Mm. just fly off the handle i was like i know this is why i'm calling you like this is why i'm calling you because we need to nip this in the bud because (laughs) this is this is too much and then of course you know we we patch things up and and i saw her a couple more times and and you know we we go we continue so this is what happens if you have in not only borderline, but uh, other kinds of
0: complex un- trauma, right? Like exactly in general, complex
2: trauma, uh, unprocessed childhood wounding, um, stuff that you're unaware of, stuff that you have pushed outside of your consciousness. It's gonna get you. It's gonna fucking yeah. get you. That's why I always talk about, you know, we need to be aware. We need to to try to look at ourselves, and um, yeah. So. I forgot the question.
0: No, was, it's you're. we're just fucking riffing off of all yeah, these topics. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that is so true though. It's yeah. just, I remember reading somewhere and I don't know what it was because this has been said a yeah. million times. There's nothing new under the sun anymore, but someone basically uh-huh. just said
1: like, um, it's never about you like oh, nine yeah. times out of 10. Yeah. It's never about you. And for me for so many years, and I think also so many of us, it's not yeah. because of the way that it's just, you brought up social media. We're also individualistic. It's like, yeah. we've the, we believe that the world is just, we are the main character and the rest of the world is just yeah. like dependent upon us. And it made me really think about, you know, how long I lived my life just thinking that every single time someone didn't respond to a message, every single time I didn't get a job, every time that someone like was looking down, it was like, Oh, sad. I'm like, it was my fault. Like, yeah, Yeah, they're mad at me. It's my fault or fuck them. They hate me. And it's just like that very belief I think is what keeps so many of us stuck
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, we have to get outside of our heads, you know, we, we have to get outside of our programming. I know it's really, really hard, but we, we, we can at least try. What you said is so true for me too. I mean, how many fucking fights have i picked and you know how many people how many hearts have we have we broken um thinking that it's all about us and you know that's what i tell myself sometimes too it's like Barlas, it's not about you man you know like they they're just uh, they're just reacting they're just responding to their own shit so you know, this goes back to the whole accept and act thing, which is, you know, heavily based on mindfulness. And then it overlaps with a lot of the, the, the borderline uh, treatments that we use, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy, and just trying to use mindfulness to create some time and space between us and um, the outside world, basically. And, you know, when that happens, it's good to just take a look at what's being triggered, and then to remind ourselves, this probably has nothing to do with me. This is the other person, and this is the part of the equation that I cannot control. No matter what I do, no matter what I say, they're going to react in a certain way based on their own programming, based on their own traumas, and and you know their own uh, software, basically. So all I can do is just set my boundaries, express my needs, and then whatever happens, I take it. And then yes. if it's not good for me, I move on. Uh, no hard feelings.
0: It's so true. Yeah. Something that just came up for me when you were saying that was, you know, you talk about programming. And yeah. looking at myself and the people that I love with that
1: framework has really helped me because, I realized as I've been going on this like more spiritual journey that I've been embarking on and is how little of my true self I actually was, you know, yeah. like I, I, I realized like how often, for example, Zaz, my partner and I, we had a discussion about this the other week where it's like, how often are our two true selves actually talking to each other and how often is our trauma and our programming yeah. talking to each other. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, this reminds me of the the Burning Man statue or whatever. Like it's 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 really famous, you know, like it's it's this huge kind of metal statue of two adults. They have their backs uh to each other, but then, you know, inside there's the two little children, they're trying to like touch hands. I think this is what happens, you know, like we fight with our
1: Mm. adult
2: selves, you know, we fight with our traumas and defenses and, you know, this, this fucking shell that we have built around the inner child to be able to adapt, to be able to survive the childhood. Yes. But behind that, there's always the, the, the vulnerable child trying to reach out, trying to take care of a need. And that really helps, that really helps not only in relationships, but also with ourselves too. When we are too angry, too triggered, um, too anxious about something, it's always good to just say, okay, um, there's the adult part, yeah, and then there's the child part. And which part is defending what? Like, what, what the hell is going on right now? So you know, as a couple, when you fight, you're probably fighting because you're trying to defend against something from your childhood happening again. Mm. But, but that's not the truth, you know, like the, yes. your, your partner is not your parents and you know, you're not five years old anymore. Everything is, every, it's all finished, you know, uh. good and bad. The childhood is done.
0: It's so, and, I, and we, we forget that, don't we? we
2: forget that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is so, so important to remember because, you know, because I, because I talk so much about childhood, people think that, you know, this is like, um, this is what I, what I place the most importance on. Of course, that's very important, but here and now rules because, it's so freeing, Molly, to, to think in this way. You say, okay, this happened when I was like six years old. I'm a grown-ass man, and this is different. Of course, this experience changed me, but back then, I didn't have consciousness. I didn't have awareness. I did not yes. have the power. I did not have the money. I did not have the agency to say, mom, dad, you are failing at your job. You're not, you're not able to meet my needs properly. So, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to get some new parents or I'm going to move out. We couldn't fucking say that. (laughs) (laughs) We could not. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like when we got the bad customer service, you know, we didn't have the power to be like, hey, you know, what's going on? Change my order.
0: Oh, my God. Um, I fucking love the concept of like parents, customer service. You're like, I am not pleased with this support. One out of five stars.
2: (laughs) And the customer is always right. The child is always right. Like if the child says you're not meeting this need, you can't be like, well, I am meeting this need. Well, where the fuck is my shipment? You know, you were going to ship in two days. It's been 10 days. It's not there. Send my fucking shipment. So the customer service should say, we apologize. We're sending it instead of picking a fight with the customer and, you know, being like, well, fuck you, you know, you, you didn't pay on time, blah, blah, blah. Or we sent it or lying, you know, gaslighting the the customer. So the customer's always right. The child is always right. But um, for us, you know, when we grow up, it's so important to separate. Um, Yes. this, This is something from my childhood but now I have the power to react differently. Back then I didn't. Now I have the power and I'm yes. gonna use the shit out of this power.
0: Oh, this that's is, so beautiful. This is what I have.
2: Yeah.
1: God, what a what a powerful analogy, that customer service analogy. Yeah. Because I myself, you know, I think it's important to recognize that as well because. If we don't recognize this concept of like, I'm an adult now, and am I just reenacting my childhood over and over and over? Because if you're doing that, you are robbing yourself of a chance to live life. And that's what I realized. I woke up at 29 is kind of when I actually really started pursuing my recovery journey. And it's been, you know, three years since then, but I thought, yeah, Shitty stuff happened in my childhood, but I am so fucking tired of, of just reenacting it over and over again. And Zaz woke me up to this when I started dating him where he was like, Molly, I know this shitty stuff happened to you. He's like, but are you going to just become this bitter old woman like, are you going to become that bitter old lady that's just going, oh, my parents did, never told me they loved me and this and that and the other. And, you know, that might sound harsh to some people, but I love him so much for kind of giving me the hard fucking truth because I literally, Barless was like, oh my God. Because he said, Molly, I watched other people in my life. He's like, I watch people become bitter old people that are just replaying their childhoods over and over and they're not even conscious of what they're doing. And he's like, you're smarter than that. I want a better, more fulfilled life for you than this. And I was like, Oh fuck. I am. I'm on track to becoming a bitter unconscious old lady. And I don't want that.
2: Yeah. we all are. Yeah. unless Unless we wake up. Yeah. And, and I was that way too. It's fucking rough growing up in Turkey and then um, going to different countries when I when I was so young and then and then coming back and having such high standards from my family and everything. And, you know, like for me, I found myself um, self-medicating a lot with uh, with drugs and alcohol. I would I would just, you know, get fucking uh, hammered four or five nights a week. And I thought people who didn't do that were fucking idiots. And and mm-hmm. and you know, one day I you know one day I woke up and and um I was just starting uh, grad school and I was like, I can't keep doing this, you know? Like I'm going to become a psychologist and um you know it 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 hit me. I was also reading a lot and it hit me. I was like, I'm not an adult. I yes. am not a real fucking adult. Like this is not what an adult does because I feel something and then I try to drown it. I mm-hmm. I try to get rid of it. You know, of course, you know, I go to school, I go to work, you know, like I pay my bills, barely, whatever. Like, you know, I, I tick the boxes kind of, mm-hmm. but like when it comes to the real shit, like I'm, I'm not an adult. And then I started thinking, I'm like, how am I going to have kids? How am I going to have, you know, a, a long-term partner? Like how, how am I going to become a psychologist? Like this is not going to fucking work. I don't have any of the, any of the skills I've, you know, I've just been, um, traveling and, and working and studying and, you know, trying to achieve shit. But, uh, what about my inner world? So that's, wow. that's how I started. But you know what, Molly, like the, the emotional stuff from our childhood, I spend so much time on it because it has to run its course. It has to, to come out. It has to run through our nervous system, I guess. Like that's, that's the analogy that I use because I feel like, you know, when we cry um, in therapy or when we're doing our own healing work, whatever, when we cry, um then we're finally allowed and you know literally scientifically with the tears there's a lot of stress hormones being released so you have to have done the the emotional work you have to you need to be validated by by a good enough other um, that can be yes. a therapist that can be a partner you know that can be a friend whatever a coach somebody has to tell you look oldest shit that you you went through in your childhood that was real that wasn't your fault and those emotions are okay tell me you know tell me how you feel if you're angry about the treatment you got if you're sad about the the childhood you had that's okay Mm. because maybe maybe we never had a chance to cry like you know maybe we were really sad but we had to just shut up and keep going Uh, Because for me, I cried
0: a lot, you know, but I was told go to your room. Right. And so I cried myself asleep so often as a child, but I was told go to your room and basically come out when you're done.
1: Instead of having a parent to be like, of course, if I got in trouble, fair enough, but come in and acknowledge that I'm crying and say it's okay. I didn't have, I didn't have that mirror. And that's what I realized is like, I experienced my emotions as something that got me rejected from my family environment.
2: And that creates so much fucking anxiety because when you have big emotions, then if, if your parents are not helping you with it, if they're not holding you with it, then you're going to be overwhelmed with fear. You're like, fuck, it's coming again. And nobody's going to help me. Yes, You know, all I can do is just, cry myself to sleep like you know nobody's coming nobody's gonna help me so when i feel this big emotion it's the end of the world i'm fucked and i just have to find something to to take the edge off yep and that's that's so scary for a child because if you've done this so many times then you you didn't learn the, the the tips and tricks and the skills to be able to to do what um, a good parent would do to you.
0: Yes, so, you know, and we they, have to become our own good parents, right? That's, yes, and that's, that's the what whole I point. think people get yeah. stuck with. Barless is being like, you know, they're like, well, I never learned this, and then they oh, stay my God, there. Yeah. They stay I heard there. This.
2: I heard this from so many people, especially people who have BPD, you know, because mm-hmm. we, we talk about, you know, in schema therapy, um, you know, we, we talk about this thing called the healthy adult mode, which is, you know, mm-hmm. the the grown part of you, the grown, responsible, mature part of you. Uh, and we try to empower that part so that that part mm-hmm. comes in and takes care of all the other other parts, including the, the child parts or modes, as they're called in schema therapy. Um, but, you know, um, when you tell the, when you talk about this stuff like at least when you're talking about the theory uh, people with BPD they say okay you know that makes a lot of sense you know be your own healthy adult take care of yourself blah 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 but what the fuck is that like what's what's yes. a good parent like what's a good enough parent like what does that look like so what does a good enough parent do uh, when I want to cut myself like what, yeah. what happens and and that's when you know that um, you need to get to the bottom of of this um of this lack you know like this this uh complete deprivation of of a of a parent figure yeah
0: this came up for me when you just said that this is a great example so Mm -hmm. say for instance i i personally myself never struggled
1: with classic forms of self-harm like cutting but i self-harmed in many other (laughs) ways um but Say, for instance, that example that you just gave. If, if uh, someone is having a self-harm urge, what, yeah. what, what is a good enough parent? What would a good enough parent do? How can someone good enough parent themselves through a moment of self-harm yeah. urge?
2: Yeah. What's happening? What's happening, baby? What's happening? Because that's what a good parent would do if you mm. were really small I don't know, eight years old, 10 years old. You're just so overwhelmed with this self-critical mode, self-critical thoughts. If there was a good enough adult around you, they would hold you, they, w- they would hug you, and they would just ask you, like, what's going on? Like, why are you so angry right now? Or why why do you hate yourself so much right now? Mm. Well, I hate myself because blah, 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 blah. Okay. What else? Blah, 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 blah. What else? What else? What else? else? Kind of like um, taking it all out. It's like, give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more of that pain. I'm going to take it and doing that with ourselves that can be in the form Mm -hmm. of journaling that can be in the form of just, um, you know, calling your therapist and asking for an extra session, something like that. That can be uh, letting it out uh, with art, Definitely, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I use that a lot. That can be, uh, you can let it out with music, you can let it out with uh, with um, dancing. Yes, it's like shaking, just you know, exactly like. Exactly, shaking, whatever. Yeah, just trying mm. to take that um, emotion out.
1: What do you think like, of anger work, by the way? Because yeah, like for me, when you're yeah. saying this, I just have such a good example. So the other, I think, well, I do this in various yeah. ways. I never did anger work before. So for me, all of my repressed shit would come out as passive aggressive little, like I call it like a pressure cooker, like little shots of steam out at other people. Right. But I never really let everything out. So what I started doing, I worked with a shadow work coach like two years ago and she told me, um, she basically said, have you ever just considered going out into your car? She's like, what I do is like, if I'm feeling angry, I'll go out into my car because, and I say the car because no one can hear you in the car. Yeah. Um, you t- and she's like, take, she's like, I take a pillow and I go sit yeah. out in my car and I just scream yeah. into the pillow yeah. and I yeah. scream all the things yeah. that I want to scream And I started doing that. And I'll tell you, Zaza started doing it where yesterday he works at a startup, right? And he's um, in the crypto space. And it's just like such a fucking hectic moment right now. And he said, Molly, yesterday I was so mad. I recognized that I was angry and I took a pillow and I just fucking screamed into that pillow. And he said, I felt so much better afterwards. And I think men specifically can really repress their emotions a lot too. And Zaz and I both have just like loved this anger work.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Molly, uh, anger is a friend, you know, like we, especially, you know, this ties in nicely with what we talked about at the beginning, you asked the difference between the the Western and Eastern stuff. And I think Mm. in the West, uh, people are more afraid to, to feel, feel anger especially women, unfortunately, yes. um, you know, like men uh, are conditioned to repress it, but women, I think they are so detached from, from, from that uh, anger. They don't even feel it. So, you know, like one thing that happens with my clients is that, you know, they, they talk about something, you know, like my, you know, let's say, you know, my boss said this and, you know, it sucked and blah, 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 you know. They're visibly angry, so I reflect it back to them and say, like, "Okay, so you sound really angry." They're like, "No, no, 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 no! I'm not angry. I'm just, you know, annoyed or mm. blah blah blah." I, I tell them, "Don't bullshit me and don't bullshit yourself. You're yeah. fucking pissed off and own that. That's a good thing. Like it's there's a reason for anger. You know, it it it's designed to ensure your survival. You get angry." When somebody is crossing some kind of boundary, or mm. when you are uh, being deprived of some kind of important need, so we need to honor the anger. We need to feel it, and um, so you know these techniques like um, you know yelling into the into the pillow and and things like that. You know, I, I make people yell at empty chairs in, yes. in therapy. You know, like yeah. or, or to to drawings they make. You know, like uh, uh, yeah. draw draw your inner critic we'll put it in the chair and you're just going to say everything, you know, you're going to confront it. And you know, especially women, when, when you try to make them do that at first, it, it's so hard. Like they feel so awkward, you know, like they, they're like, um, please don't criticize me. Like, come on. Like it's your inner, (laughs) put your back into it. Give it, yeah. (laughs) Give it some more. Um, please don't do it. I'm like, no, you know, and then, you know, you help them with the anger. And then finally they're just yelling at the chair and it's so beautiful. You know, it's like, fuck you, you know, you ruined my life. You're always telling me what to do and I'm never good enough. And why do I have to listen to you? And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. You know, give it some more, give it some more. And then it's out. Uh, And and it's so
1: relieving when you do it.
2: And now you have power. Now you yes. have power over this part or, you know, over this thing that was, that was pissing you off because before you were afraid of it, you know, it's like, may the God forbid that you're angry. That's our conditioning. I'm like, no, you're angry. It's fine. You know, anger doesn't mean violence. Like anger doesn't mean destruction. No, Anger is it anger. Means taking
0: your control back almost. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's really important. I think, especially for women. To, mm. to own their anger because there's a reason for it. And mm-hmm. then um, anger, resentment, frustration, there's a reason for it, looking at the reason, and then using the anger to energize you, to, yes. to take care of yourself, to set these boundaries, et cetera, et cetera. And then BPD, the role of rage is huge. You know, like people who have BPD, they know, they know what it feels like to to be completely enraged, to be yep. completely in that uh, enraged child mode. You know, yes. to be to be having this you know quote unquote adult tantrum. Yep. Um, but you know, where is it coming from? It's the abandonment. It's yes. the rage against the abandonment, and and it and it gets triggered with you know with all this stuff in relationships when we feel like we're being ghosted when we feel like we're not being taken seriously when you know people are uh, jerking us around and things like that that abandonment wound from from decades ago um, gets triggered and you're defending with your whole life because what happens to a child when he or she gets abandoned she won't survive yeah. You know, that's that's why we have the abandonment rage in mm-hmm. borderline personality disorder, because it's your survival mechanism trying to defend against uh, being eaten <laughs> by predators because yes. you know if you're abandoned by your parents, you're screwed. Um, you're gonna die as a child. So it's it's like such a primal rage. You know, mm-hmm. that's why that's why people get so scared.
0: That of, brings off the borderline I like, rage. Something yeah. came up for me just now when you said that is like. Yeah. That, that abandonment rage was so true for me. And when I read, and I can't remember where I read it, I think it was probably like Pete Walker or something, you know, these people that um, I really love yeah, where yeah. I just love him. Um, yeah. And he said, you know,
1: we, it's like you said, we need our parents to survive. So yeah. as a child, you can't recognize I'm completely lovable. There's nothing wrong with me. It's actually my parents not being good enough parents. And when I say good enough, it means like no parent is perfect. So it's like, but I can't recognize that. So instead it's easier as a child for us to turn that on ourselves and say, there is something wrong with me because as a child, we don't have the mental capacity to understand that it's our parents because our parents are like gods to us when when we're, when we're we're children.
2: Exactly, exactly. And I talk about this a lot too, you know, honoring the the, the anger of the, the little child, um, because uh there's a reason for it, right? It's it it, it it comes from the primal fear against abandonment and in the in the mind of the child, because the child is so egocentric and uh and they can't take other people's perspectives. So for example, um when your parents are neglectful. In you know, if, if you're an adult, you would be, able, you know, you would be able to say, Oh, wow, like, these people are really neglectful, they don't give a shit about me. But as a child, we can't do that. We can't say that because we don't have that cognitive capacity yet. So what we do is that we, we go into this thing like, Oh, you know, like these, these people, my parents, they seem to not care about me so much. So that must be because of something I did, you know? Like everything is about us, that's the egocentric thinking. And where does this come from? It comes from infancy. You know, this is really interesting. They talk about this a lot in psychodynamic literature. They call it magical omnipotence look it up you know it's so mm. cool it's so cool I love the 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 hardcore psychoanalytic, psychoanalytic so literature yeah yeah magical omnipotence this comes from the mind of the baby because when you don't have language when you don't have any skills you cry and the food appears you yeah. cry and you get cleaned up so you know you you develop this belief you're like oh my god like I'm I'm like a god I'm omnipotent <laughs> you know like I don't say anything I don't do anything I get hungry and the food appears you know like I poop myself and, and, you know, cleaning appears, you know, (laughs) so that's why as children, and then it survives from infancy to, you know, five years old, 10 years old, even teenagers think Mm -hmm. like that, you know, so when something happens, we think it's, it has to do with us, you know, if it's something good that happened, we think it has to do with us. If it's something bad that happened, we, we think it, it has to do with us. Let's say, you know, you're eight years old and your parents are getting divorced. You're going to think it's your fault. Yeah. Because that's that's how you think. You have a ego-based thinking and you have magical omnipotence. You look at everything, you know, you feel like everything revolves around you. And then when um, your parents get divorced, even if a parent dies, you're going to think that's your fault. You're going to feel mm-hmm. guilty. You're like, oh, my God, it must have happened because of something I did. Because everything else happens because of things I do, you know, like I get mm-hmm. hungry and the food appears. Um, You know, I, I, I get dirty and then the cleaning appears. Wow. Like I create this universe. So Mm -hmm. this is the difference, you know? So I talk about this a lot, like, instead of saying, okay, these parents are not doing their jobs. We say, I am not good enough. Instead of saying Mm -hmm. our parents are unable to love love us in the way that we need to be loved, we say, I am unlovable. These are all lies. These are all blatant fucking lies coming from the inner child because yes. he or she, they don't know any better. You know, It's the mind of the child ruling us um, as adults. So that's another thing that we try to get at through awareness work. Yeah.
0: Yes and and we it's our responsibility as adults now and the thing is it's okay if you're listening to this and you're going I didn't know about any of this and you're kind of having a realization that I did when I was reading about all the stuff that we're talking about now where I'm like oh my god I'm
1: basically still just a grown child and I think I've talked about Jordan Peterson has this um this talk where he talks about borderline personality disorder. And he basically said that, you know, when you see a child throwing a tantrum, it's, you know, it's a little cumbersome and annoying, but when you see a grown adult throwing a tantrum, it's bloody terrifying is what he says. And he says that about like people with borderline personality disorder, they're adults kind of throwing like childlike tantrums and whatever anyone thinks about Jordan Peterson. He's gotten a lot of shit in the last few years, but for me, he's his work and listening to him speak is incredibly transformative for me and the way that I viewed myself and my behaviors and I encourage you um in your listening not to split on Jordan Peterson because he is he has incredible uh talks that I in my opinion can really help us understand ourselves as human beings at like a core level but that is talk that he did where I had to zoom out and I was like, oh my God, I am just tantruming as a grown ass adult. And yes, what happened in my childhood sucked, but A, you have to move through it. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to push this away now that I recognize it. I had to do the anger work. I had to sit with those feelings and love my inner child. And now when I have these things and I feel myself about to go into enraged child mode and have like an adult tantrum, I go, okay, Molly, you're not a child anymore. I recognize that that hurt part of myself. I'm going to hold her for a minute and then I'm going to realize that I have power and agency now to react in a different way. And that is so empowering to feel. Like I've I actually now know what it feels like to have power whereas before I just felt like I was just being jerked every single direction and reacting. And it's just, that's not really feeling like you're living your life. It's just feeling like life is being done to you. It's the perfect uh, transition point to move into this post that you made the other day, Barlas, that I wanted to read. Um, and then I'd love for us to chat about it. So this post that you made is about being afraid of living in our own truth And the caption you said, most people are afraid of living their own truth because it's easier to keep repeating what we already know, as painful as that might be. And your post says, one hard truth about healing that no one tells you is how much fear and thus anger your transformation creates in the unawake around you. Once you start doing your healing work, you start to notice how many people live cut off from their own truth and agency. You realize how so many things around us are designed to numb us to our own truth, who we really are, what we really feel, and what we need. When you start to understand your true self and allow it to be free, you start to step step into the power of your true agency. You start setting boundaries, taking responsibility for life, speaking your truth, Although this might resonate with a lot of people, there will also be many people who are scared of your new power and truth. This happens because without practicing awareness, people live on autopilot, not really hearing or seeing themselves in the real you. Unaware, unawake, and repeating their old programming instead of hearing and seeing the truth. They only pick up on its distorted echoes, only pay attention to whatever key words they are conditioned to hear. So someone with boundaries, courage, and clarity is completely alien to them. We fear what we do not yet understand, and that fear turns into anger and an attempt to defend the ego and the way things always are. This is why our transformation creates fear and anger in certain people around us and costs us some of our old relationships. It's all a part of the process. There's no version of healing where you change and everyone else and everything else stays the same. That's not real transformation, anyways. Mourn the end of such relationships and open your heart to your true tribe. I love this post so much because it takes bravery to go on a healing journey. And a lot of us who struggle with our mental health and and just people in general, we're scared of change. And I think so many people start practicing boundaries, start practicing being their true self, and they start to see people around them reacting negatively to that or saying, wow, you're different. Or what's wrong with you? And we're so afraid of rejection and abandonment that then we throw our recovery out the window. We have to, I love this post because it reminds us that not everyone is going to like the fact that you're changing.
2: Yes, yes, and you know, uh, that's one thing that no one tells you about healing. Um, You're going to have to kind of uh, stand against um, a lot of people that uh, that you used to that you used to call your friends and mm-hmm. and family and um, because you are waking up you're doing the work you're becoming more self-aware you're gaining insight you're trying to to. To change your nervous system, basically, but you know, if these people are not doing the work, you're not going to be in the same frequency. Like you're not going to be on the same vibe. Um, this is a bit of a segue, but super important. Mm-hmm. I talk about this a lot when people ask me about um, confronting their parents about about their you know abuse and and neglect and and their childhood. You know, of course, I never tell people what to do, but my experience uh, has been that. Because they're not going to their therapy, because you're the only one in the family who's who's doing the work. Basically, you know, you're becoming more aware. You go to therapy. Um, they're not doing any of that. So you're coming from a place of awareness. You're coming from a, a a place of just mindfulness. But they are still where they were twenty years ago, thirty years ago, when all this shit happened in your childhood. So whatever you tell them it's going to bounce off of that wall of, of unawareness. You know, you're going to say, Hey, you know, dad, like you were never around. Mm-hmm. And do you think he's going to say, Oh my God, you're so right. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And you know, I should have been more around. He would be able to say that if he was doing the work, just like you are doing it. Or, you know, if you guys were going to couple, um, uh, family therapy for like mm-hmm. the past two years But he can't like he does not have the ability to say that he does not have the connections in his brain, literally to to be able Mm -hmm. to talk like that. So he's going to say, what do you mean? I gave you everything. And, you know, uh, I, I provided and I was going to work and I was so busy. And, you know, and then I had to leave your mom and blah, 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 blah. They're going to start defending. Yep. or they're going to start guilt tripping you. How can you say this stuff after all that we've done for you? We are your parents and uh. so, you know, either guilt tripping, anger, defending, blah blah blah, but you're probably not going to get what you expected, which is, you know, empathy, understanding, acknowledgement of the pain and them just mm-hmm. like shutting up and listening and being like yeah, honey, you know, you're right. We fucked up and we apologize. Let's just, um, try to build a relationship if you want to, if you're ready for it, that's Mm -hmm. never going to happen because you're doing the work. They're not doing the work. So what do you expect? You know? So of course, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit, but, but this is how it works. And, you know, going back to this post, this is real. Like it, it happens, um, even with friends exactly in social media with your friends when you start telling the truth and and what is that you know let's say that there's a party you don't want to go to a fucking party because you're trying to quit drinking alcohol or or you're trying to stop hooking up with random people so are you going to play along out of your false self and you're going to be like yeah of course I'm coming or you're going to be like no I'm going to be at home I'm going to I'm going to drink my green tea and I'm going to meditate and I'm going to cry
0: and yeah, I'm going to do my own literally. shit
2: so when you say that, they're going to be like, oh, my God, you know, you're not fun anymore and blah, 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 blah. They're going to be angry because yep. you're not acting, you know, like you're and not And also, performing. Barless,
0: it brings yep. up something in them where yes. they're going, oh, what I've gotten is yes. like, oh, you think you're better than me you or than blah, blah, us. blah, blah, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that is yeah. them projecting because I'm sure yeah. there's
1: a part of yeah. them that's like, yeah. I don't have the strength to do that work. So they'd rather shit on you. And it makes them feel better, but it's like, we have to recognize, we can't change their reaction, but we have to recognize a, wow, that's probably not a person I want to have in my life. And B that's their programming. And they're trying to throw their programming at me. And I'm going to like have a force field against that.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, like with the holidays, with the holidays coming up, um, you know, everybody's freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) Am I going to go back home? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. how is it going to be with my parents, with my family? And, uh, you know, this comes up a lot when you set boundaries, because what is the purpose of boundaries? It's to show people, you know, this is this is where I end and this is where you begin. You know, I don't care if you're my mom. I'm a separate human being. I'm an adult. You brought me into this world, but you do not fucking own me. So I have different boundaries. I'm a completely different human being than you. So when you set the boundaries, it's going to be like, oh, you know, like, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's you again, thinking you're better than us, blah, 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 Um, and, and what can you do? Mm. Nothing, nothing. No. Are you going to say, you know what, mom, you're right. I'm just going to stop doing this work and I'm going to go back to my old patterns. I'm so sorry. <laughs>
0: I'm not going to do that. It's so yeah. true. And you know, mm-hmm. the, for longtime listeners of the podcast, I, I did an episode a while, like maybe four episodes ago where I really had kind of a breakdown and opened up to the listeners about that I was kind of questioning what is my relationship with my parents going to look like? Do I want to have contact with them? And and I'll tell you, my parents have done a lot of um,
1: calming down and growing over the last years, but I still had so much anger and I felt like nothing was actually talked about. And we just kind of like went... Like glossed it over and now they just want to pretend like nothing ever happened. And I felt really resentful about that. And so I was really feeling like this, I was at this point where I went, I'm either going to cut them off or I just have to get over it. And I find that a lot of us get stuck in this binary thinking of like thinking we either have to completely cut our parents off or we have to say that everything happened was okay and get complete resolution and tie everything up with a neat little bow. And I think this is so important for the holidays. I had a chat with my parents, Barlas, and I, um, since that episode, I had a talk with them and I said, all right, I need you guys to listen to me. I had a call with them and I I don't feel like I'm getting any fulfillment out of this relationship. I don't feel like you actually ask me about my day. It's just we this is so superficial and da da and guess what I got? Like I was like we don't talk about I want you guys to show me that you're actually uh Thinking about the effect you had on me and my sister and our childhood and the mental health issues that have arisen due to this. And of course, what did I get? A lot of defensiveness, a lot of it didn't yep. go well. Right. Mm-hmm. And I actually told them I didn't want them to come for the holidays, so they're not coming. Mm-hmm. And um since then, I've had a couple of more reparative conversations with my parents. And I'm really lucky that they did reflect. And my mom said, Look, both of them came to me and they said, Look, We can't change what happened in the past. We recognize my mom was like, I fucked up. I wish that I could go back and change. I should have been there for you more. You were a very sensitive child. And I know that, like, you needed me to be there. And my mom was an English teacher. And so she was like so busy with work and, didn't have time for me. And my dad acknowledged, but my dad said, I want to find a way that we can have a good relationship. Now we want to move forward with you and we love you, you know? And I had to realize Barlas, that, and I recognize some people are not in that position where their parents are actually so toxic for them and you have to make that individual decision. But I had to sit there and go, okay, I eventually have to let this go and forgive And just know that if my parents ever act talk like act toxic towards me, because it has come up where my mom will say some shit now when I'm talking to her. And instead of reacting, I go. This is just the way my mom is. There's nothing I can do to change that. I know she loves me, but I'm going to just let this one slide. You know, I think a lot of us have to find, is there a middle path that we can have with our parents? And When they're stuck in their programming, I think the key is being keenly aware of being able to identify when our parents are stuck in that programming, recognizing the power of seeing that Mm -hmm. you don't even have Mm -hmm. to point it out to them, because pointing it out to them is ineffective, but going, I'm okay, I'm an adult now. And I feel really, I actually feel sadness and compassion for my parents when I see them stuck in these cycles, because I know. I'm a cycle breaker, as you've discussed before. Yes. <laughs> but I saw you writing something down. I yeah. want to give you a chance to react yeah. to all of that. Oh, yeah. I
2: <laughs> I wrote so many things. First of all, th- that's a really good experience that you had, you know, with, with mm. the parents. I'm glad you had that. That's beautiful, you know, that they were able to take responsibility and say, you know, we love you and you know, we fucked up. That's that's wonderful. That's I'm proud that's of great. them. Yeah, you're proud of them. But mm. did you need that experience? To be able to heal? No. Nope. We don't need, yeah, we don't need to, to um, you know, have this uh, grand finale where, you know, we're hugging and, you know, everybody's uh, saying everything that they they should say and blah, and blah, 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 blah. And that's what yeah. I wanted,
0: Barlas. That's what I wanted. And I thought, I can't heal until yeah. that happens. Yeah,
2: we all do. But that is such. Such a, such a misconception, you know, like this, this is the whole, like, this is, I I don't know, like, I I think it's like spiritual bypassing, you know, and I remember a couple weeks ago, you were, you had some, some stories about your favorite books, uh, something like that. And you talked about Alice Miller.
0: Yes, I love, I her. The love her. The drama yeah, of the gifted child. Drama
2: of the gifted child and breaking the wall of silence. Those two books are amazing. And she talks all about that because she says, you know, like even therapists, even therapists have this like weird, um, parent-pleasing conditioning where, you know, they push their uh, clients to, like, you know, have these conversations with their parents and, you know, come to this point of, you know, hugging and kissing and forgiving. And she says, why? Like, Mm. why? You're still angry. You're still pissed off. You're still frustrated. That emotion, that anger has to come out first. And then we'll talk about, you know, forgiveness and reconciliation. Like, what are you doing before uh processing that anger you know like what are you doing this is this is premature you know it's forced
0: oh my god Uh, this just made me think of and it's like They don't need to witness you either. I felt like I needed my
1: parents to witness me screaming at them. Right. Exactly. But what did I do instead? I got a triggering text from my mom, I think five weeks or so before I had this conversation with my parents and I called Zaz and I said, Zaz come downstairs. And he's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? And I said, I just need you. I got this text from my mom. I know that it's probably not a big deal. It probably sounds like nothing, but I just need you to be here. And I want to just like scream out and yell at my mom with you just witnessing this. And I ended up barless. It was like, you like saying, make a a picture of the inner child and put it or your inner critic and putting it on a chair. I literally screamed at Zaz as if he, he was my mom and I couldn't believe the shit that came out of me. I, and I ended up in a puddle on the floor, like shaking and, and, and Zaz said, what can I do? And just, he just stroked my back and he didn't have to say anything. He just witnessed it. And I realized I don't need my parents to witness, but I have to let this out in other ways. And now I can interact with my parents so much more without all of this anger, because I realized I just needed it to come out. I didn't need them to witness it. I didn't need them to to atone for anything. I just had to get it out.
2: Yeah, exactly. And why? Because you're free. You're free. You're an adult now. You call the shots. You make the rules. And you don't need mommy and daddy to tell you anything or to do anything for you. So. You know, like we, we have this like romantic ideal, you know, we just talked about it. Like, you know, we yell and then we hug and they say, I love you, baby, but we don't need that, you know, like, okay, if, if that happens in a healthy way, great, but we don't need that. What we need to do is to take care of ourselves and to live out these emotions, to take them out because especially repressed anger, it's so dangerous because, you know, when you push it out of your awareness, when you push it out of your consciousness, you don't control it. It controls you. It's gonna strike at you from the shadows, and that's and and guess what? Where the the inner critic, the the um, the self-flagellation, you know, so to speak, yes. comes from? It's our anger towards our parents that we had to push outside of our awareness, mm. because we couldn't be pissed off at, at at mommy and daddy. Because what the fuck were we gonna do? We, you know, like when you're six years old, you can't be like, you know, I hate you guys. I'm unhappy with the treatment. You need and them to
0: take care of you.
2: <laughs> exactly. So you just shut up and you swallow it. You mm-hmm. find a way to swallow the anger. You find a way to turn it somewhere else. You find a way to twist it. And mm. where does it turn when it can't find a, a an outlet? It turns against you. So mm. I'm angry at my parents becomes I'm angry at myself again. That's a lie.
1: That's yes. a lie.
2: That's a little ego lie. You know, that's, that's a lie from our childhood. You're not angry at yourself. It's the anger that you have pushed outside of your awareness.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. It's so true. You and when yeah. when you said self-flagellation, for those of you that aren't aware of this, I mean, I am
1: ex-Catholic, so I'm very familiar with self-flagellation. Um, but it what came up for me when you said so, and by the way, people that don't know, self-flagellation is like beating yourself up, right? And what I thought of when you said that is like, have you ever seen the Da Vinci Code, the movie, where it's like there's this Catholic guy that's in the movie and a, an old practice in like catholic spirituality was like to take a whip and like whip your own back like beating yourself yeah. up and i remember there's a scene in da vinci code where that guy is just this very religious man is just whipping his back and his back is just covered in just oozing sores and scars but, and that i always think about that when i think about the inner critic because that's what i see like i realize that i never, my critical inner thoughts never stopped. I was just talking to my friend, Melanie, the other day who's been on the podcast and she was crying on, we voice note each other every day. And she said, Molly, the thoughts just don't stop. Like it gets so tiring and people don't talk about this. Not everyone has that loop in their mind. And so many of us are suffering in silence. We look high functioning on the outside, but behind this veil, we are, literally that Catholic priest guy, we have these scars all over us. We're just beating ourselves up. And then on the outside, we're going, everything's fine. But on the inside, there's a loop of you're so fucking stupid. You always say the fucking wrong thing. What's wrong with you? No, one's ever going to love you. And sometimes some of us are so caught in that self-flagellating loop that there is no space for anything else. And healing is impossible at that phase
2: yeah exactly and you know that that self-legislation the inner critic aka the demanding parent mode or the punitive parent mode in in schema therapy it's two things number one it's the anger that we we have uh, against our parents but we have repressed it because it's unacceptable um or we we were going to be punished for that anger um, we we wouldn't we wouldn't have been able to survive if we show that anger basically. So number one is the repressed anger uh, towards the parents turned against ourselves. And number two, the inner critic is the critical and harsh and judgmental parts of the parents that we have internalized, you know, just like we have internalized the good parts of our parents. we uh, we internalize the bad parts. so it's it's these two things that that make up the inner critic. And you know, um, I was thinking about this the other day. I have so many clients um, who have this. It's, I think it's, it's like a fucking global uh, pandemic <laughs> right now. <laughs> so many people have this, especially like, as you said, you know, it doesn't matter if you're high achieving, you know, I work with people who are like, you know, really high level executives or, or, you know, like things like that. But I also, I also work with people who are not. And there's one thing in common, it's this thing, you know, I'm stupid, I'm worthless, I am lazy, I am irresponsible, I am this, I am that, blah, 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 blah. blah. And it's so, so, um, um, you know, painful to see people Mm. accepting these sentences, basically, like accepting these words without any resistance, you know, like it comes in and they're like, yeah, yeah, I am stupid. I am worthless. I am this. I am that. So, so I challenge them. I say, well, do you do the same thing when this happens, um, to someone you love? Like, you know, like, let's say, let's say, you know, you're at a restaurant and somebody comes up to you or to your friend and they say, you're so stupid. You're worthless. You'd be like, who the fuck are you, man? Go away. Like, what are you doing? This, like, you know, you, you would have this kind of, um, this kind of firm attitude against them. You'd have a visceral
0: reaction. You would be like, so why don't don't
2: you have that? Yeah. Like, why don't you have that against yourself? So, Mm -hmm. so um, it's about cultivating this, this attitude of, I hear you inner critic, but you're not real. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to follow you. I don't have to do anything that you say. I'm just, you know, you're just yapping on and yeah, whatever. I'm worthless. I don't give a shit. Yes. You can say whatever you, yeah, whatever. And you can like, yell
0: back at it too. You, you can know? yell back
2: at it too, That's,
0: yeah. Zaz has actually started, because I read in Pete Walker's book about the power of like, if you can, and if you're actually in a space where, not in public, where people are going to be like, whoa, this bitch is like t- talking to herself. <laughs> um, Zaz <laughs> has started yeah. to, when he yeah. gets these uh, self-flagellating thoughts, these negative thoughts from his uh, inner critic, because I, I told him about the concept of it.
1: And he says now, he shouts back at it. He's like, shut the fuck up. Like, leave me the fuck alone. And he said that that's also been incredibly helpful for him. I've started doing it. And when you start doing that, you start also becoming aware of how many of your thoughts are actually from that inner critic, which means there's little room for creativity, for for, uh, ideas, for good things to happen in your life. And so when I started doing that and yelling back every single time it happened, just the the act of yelling back for like three days, I was basically screaming all the time. And I realized, oh shit, like 90% of my thoughts are actually not my true self. They are just this internalized critical parent
2: yeah and you are the one with the capital t and the capital o you are the one who observed all of that shit yeah so that that voice isn't you like you are the one who's hearing that voice therefore you can change that voice you know that's yes. that's what we that's what we forget like we are so much bigger than than those sentences that we hear or those those voices that we hear you know mm. and like cultivating cultivating this this attitude of standing against the the inner critic the the demanding parent the punitive parent it is so important because because it's it's so unfair it's yes. so unfair to be beating ourselves up all the time like this because we all have amazing amazing talents we're all beautiful we we all have something we we all can do something that no one else in the universe can do mm. yet, you know, we get, we get into the, into the inner critic. So there's so much power in just standing against it. It's going to keep coming, you know, like that's, that's what people get confused about. Is like, is it going to stop one day? I don't fucking know. It, if mm. it stops, it's great. But yeah. if it doesn't, it doesn't matter because you learn to make it background noise.
0: And the power yeah. is, is recognizing yeah. that it's not you, right? Like, yeah. It doesn't, the the goal is not for it to go away entirely. The goal is for you to become aware that like, oh, that's not, that's not me. And the moment I think that that awareness happens, that's such a huge achievement.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds a bit weird because we are so attached to our personality. You know, it's, it's like, you know, when you say, oh, this is not me, this is someone else. Like, you know, this is my inner critic. This is my ego. It's like, well, who the fuck am I then? (laughs)
0: it you know, starts like to I'll get be, it freaks people out it exactly. can really freak it, people yeah,
2: out yeah yeah it, it it still freaks me out i'm like okay yeah, me so too. where am i like who am i but you are <laughs> <Same>. pure <laughs> consciousness yeah you're your yes. pure consciousness you're pure awareness like you are when you close your eyes when you take take deep breaths there's so many different sensations going on you are the being who's hearing seeing like feeling all of that stuff yes. and that voice is just something it's like a piece of code that yeah. that runs in the background. That's it. Yes. That's it. And through the awareness work, as you said, you have the choice. Are you going to follow this little voice? Are you going to, you know, jump on it and do what you have done a million times before? Or are you going to take a deep breath and consciously choose something else? You know, are you going to be like, oh my God, here we go again. It's my inner critic. I've had this for millions of years. I talked about this with my therapist. Okay, what was I going to do? What was my plan? Oh, I was going to do some breathing exercises and I was going to remind myself that I have a choice. I have an option. I'm going to say, okay, fuck you. I don't have to listen to you. This is what I really want. So I'm going to do this. So, yes,
0: you know, you, it makes me feel like, and I know that we, you, we've been talking for a long time now. I'd love to, to end on, just a little bit of a chat about the spiritual aspect of recovering because you're the perfect person to discuss this with, because I can see the hints of the spirituality weaved throughout your posts, just as I do as well with mine. And I'm dipping my toe into that because people react, can react very negatively to any
1: mention of spirituality. And I'm sure they would say, oh, that's woo woo shit. I don't want to like, that's hippie shit, right? And I think for me, I used to be one of those people where I would reject any hint of spirituality because of growing up around really hardcore, evangelical, right-wing kind of Christian environment. And so it made me, one of my earliest memories was being sent to church camp as a child, right? And it was a very like evangelical church camp. And they were telling me that anyone who as probably an eight-year-old kid, anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus is going to hell. Mm -hmm. And as a young child, I was like, what? And then I brought up to this camp counselor. I was like, but one of my good friends is Jewish. Does that mean that she's going to go to hell? And the church person was pretty much like, yep. And I went, as a child, I just rejected that. And then I started growing up and I had so many friends who were, um, like I had a lot of friends that are gay men and I heard the, the way that the church responded to that. So for me, I cut myself off from spirituality, but that meant that I, I didn't get to pursue a mature spiritual path, which is like yeah. people that are at the highest level of a lot of these religions. They are all very mind. They're mindfulness based. Like even yeah. some of yeah. the most high level Catholic priests, for example, will go on like meditation and spiritual retreats yeah. and become Zen masters. Right. So yeah. what I want to talk about and what I want to ask you about is more um. How do you, what is your relationship with your spirituality and why do you think finding some type of spiritual path is so important for mental health and well-being?
2: Yeah, so um for me I have read all the books uh you know Quran, Bible, all of that um but I don't follow any of them i don't practice any of any of them i have my own spirituality which is based on uh freedom through awareness just becoming aware of what am i doing and for what and and through that how can i um take more responsibility for my life and and how can i live a better life which and and for me you know the path that i have chosen is helping people and and try to to help them live better lives. So for me, that's kind of like you know that's my that's my spirituality. You know, just uh, just being there for people, for myself, trying to be aware, trying to understand that we are all the same, basically. Yes. You know, as as like living beings. So for me, that's the definition uh, of spirituality. In the healing journey, it helps a lot because. If, you know, going back to the inner critic again, if you have that, then um, you don't have a lot of self-compassion and it has to come from somewhere. So, you know, I'm very practical. I'm very pragmatic. So if that's going to come through mindfulness, if that's going to come through that kind of spirituality, you know, we are all um, made of love and we're all um, just beings uh, who are connected to each other. Therefore you need to try to give yourself the same compassion that you would give uh, someone who's suffering. Um, So that really helps kickstart that, that self-compassion, that um, kind of zooming out of your life, zooming out of your shit and like looking at it as a universe and like not looking at it as like, you know, this person, that person, but humanity and like living beings and and energy and zooming out and being like oh my god like you know we're all connected and i yes. have to treat myself well um and through that i heal and through that i can treat other people well too you know so yes. compassion i use it for compassion spirituality and it really helps even people you know who are very 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 non-religious when they get into this when they start meditating they start touching that part of themselves i think we all have that spiritual part you know they start touching that part of themselves and it's so beautiful to see you know like you don't have to become religious all of a sudden or or nothing like that it's just this acknowledgement of of um you know love and connected interconnectedness as a as a species as a as living beings so that's so helpful in our healing too yeah
0: that is a beautiful representation of that and that's exactly what worked for me which is i zooming out there's such a beautiful way of putting it because it is not just you alone going through this
1: you are just a piece of this big quilt of of consciousness it's really hard to feel alone and empty you know yes there's sadness things are going to come things are going to be great sometimes and bad sometimes, but the aloneness and the emptiness starts to dissipate once you start acknowledging that collective experience. So in conclusion, (laughs) what is next for Barless? Like I would love to, you said at the beginning of the episode, you know, where people can find you and I'm going to link to your Instagram and everything on the show notes, but what's next for you? What are you working on? And um, what would you like to kind of like leave us with
2: yeah, so I am working on uh, a podcast and I'm working on a book. Um, so, you know, these two things, of course, time is a problem because I'm seeing clients taking care of my family and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, creating content for for Instagram. So I have a lot going on, but I can relate. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm really starting to make some time for the podcasts and and for the book. And um, so that's going to be the next step and hopefully growing our wonderful community at uh, Accept and Act. Um, You know, so many people have been reaching out to me. I've been getting Uh, you know, such, such great feedback. So that's what keeps me going, you know, because, uh, because uh, it's all extra. I don't get paid for it, but you know, here I am 11 a.m., 11 p.m. at night, just, you know, banging on my keyboard, trying to, you know, write a post and everything because it it just comes to me, you know, Mm. so that will continue. I will add a book hopefully, and uh, a podcast is coming definitely. And what I want to leave, leave with is this, don't be hard on yourself. (laughs) Mm. Don't be hard on yourself. Take it easy. Do what you can do. Don't worry about the rest. Take it one day at a time. Deep breaths always helps deep breaths. And we're all, 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 all connected and we can all be here for each other doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter where you come from doesn't matter what you have done you deserve love you are love mm-hmm. so this is this is what i believe in and this is what i see more and more and more the the more people i work with from all over the world
0: what a beautiful that is such a beautiful message thank you so much for taking the time i know you're a new dad and like yeah. you're just you have a lot going on and yeah. It's just, we've been following each other for so many months now, yes. and it's just been so great to, to meet with you and connect. So I will, of course, continue sharing and supporting your work. And when the podcast happens, I will be sharing no. that with all of my listeners, because I'm sure when people start listening, to, when they listen to this interview, they're going to want to follow your podcast. So we're spreading the love. We're sharing yes. the love. That's what it's all
1: about. Always. We work really hard, you know, and it's like, you're right. Mm-hmm. We don't get paid for this. We, we genuinely want to help people. Yeah. And because yeah. you and I both believe if other people are doing great from our work, we're just part of this whole collective experience and we put out love to get love.
2: Yes. Yeah. Beautiful.
0: All right. That's it for today's episode. I just want to thank you so much for listening. Out of all the podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine, and that's amazing and it means a lot to me. If you like what you heard today and you want to be notified as soon as each new episode drops, I got you. The best way is to follow my podcast. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts on an iPhone, you'll want to search Back From The Borderline, click into the show's homepage and then click that tiny plus sign in the upper right hand corner of your screen it will turn to a check mark and then you are officially following the podcast now you'll never miss an episode if you love this content and this podcast and you want to support me as i continue doing this following the podcast is the best way to do that If you want to get access to detailed show notes for each episode, connect with me on socials, or reach out to collaborate, you can find all that and more at backfromtheborderline.com. You can also connect with me by writing a review in Apple Podcasts. Do you have a specific question you'd like me to answer or a topic you'd like covered on a future episode? Start with an honest rating or review of the show, and in the body of your review, include the question or topic you'd like me to address. It is my hope that you have the most amazing day, but if it isn't quite amazing, I hope at least our time together made it a little bit better. All right, until next time.